does Christianity have a problem with race? Um, in preparing the talk, um, I became aware that this is often a topic I have discussions about, like in the workplace or with friends or people who usually um, accept certain things to be true, um, which maybe some people here today might not have ever thought about. Um, and I also acknowledge that um, whilst what Johnny's saying about diversity and everything being really popular as um, everyone's like, that's a really good thing, um, race can be a very difficult discussion to have. People find it very difficult to discuss and engage with for a variety of reasons, some of which I'll touch on today. And so if anything I say um, is upsetting or discomforting, I'd ask you to bear with me. Um, and, um, and also point out that um, not to dismiss what's being said or dismiss things because the emotions they arise are uncomfortable. Because I think if we avoid examining things because they make us uncomfortable, then society's failings never change. And so, um, yeah, so that, that, that was just a couple of thoughts I'd had in preparing. Um, and then in an effort to tackle issues head on and address what may be uncomfortable, I wanted to start by tackling the question, of, which might have already been raised in some minds, about tokenism. So um, you may have noticed I'm a black woman, um, and I'm speaking at the front on a Sunday. Um, and women don't often speak on the front on a Sunday. I don't know if any black people have ever spoken on the front on a Sunday. And so there might be that kind of sense of, oh gosh, they've brought other black women to speak about race. Um, and I just wanted to um, say from the start that I have been in Church Central for three and a half years, and I've never felt, um, I've been incredibly encouraged by the leadership team here. Um, it's a church where I've been told on repeated occasions that I had that um, I had something to say, that my voice was something that should be heard. Um, and I've been asked to speak on things before. I've spoken on prayer from the front in a kind of workshop space, and I've um, been able to talk um, about directions of stuff in the church to leadership and things like that as well. So I just wanted to say, whilst it might on the outset look like that, I wanted to just address that because it's always, yeah, in that effort of tackling things in a head-on manner. So that was my little start. Um, so before, so looking at does Christianity have a problem with race, before looking at that, I wanted to start by thinking about does Britain have a problem with race? Does um, Britain or 21st century UK society have a problem with race? Um, and I would say, and I don't know what your answer would be, but I would say the answer to that is clearly yes, and statistics bear that out. So I, I think the statistics might have appeared upon me. So some of the statistics that kind of look at this, um, so a black schoolboy in England is around three times more likely to be permanently excluded compared to the whole school's population. So like in a practical level, if you're in school and you get into trouble, that's something that is, you're more likely because of what people see when they see you and you go before the panel to get an exclusion um, just because of bias. Um, a 2010 study into racial discrimination and recruitment practices in the UK found that people from ethnic minorities were, more, were less likely to be successful with applications as a result of name-based racial discrimination. Um, and I'm always aware that statistics can be like, ah, oh, statistics. But in terms of personal experience, I've had personal experience of this particular fact. Um, I, in a workplace um, that I used to work, a workplace I was in, um, they were recruiting for a job and shortlisting. Um, and at one point, so two different groups of colleagues were shortlisting. And these are colleagues I had good relationships with. Um, and it turned out that um, when they were looking at the shortlist, they were looking at some of the rejected applications. And there was some confusion, because some of these applications seemed to be, for reasons unclear, scored lower when they had met the criteria. 
So they went back and did a kind of um, a double check. And one of my Asian colleagues, when she was going through the double check, she said, all of these like lowly marked applications have Asian names. So she had noticed that um, whoever had done the shortlisting had, for, and again, um, my hypothesis, knowing the people who did it, was it wouldn't have been an overt, um, I don't like Asian people, so I'm going to mark them down. But their, their unacknowledged bias meant that they did mark those people down, and those people who could have got an interview may not have done. Because it was double-checked, because it was highlighted, actually one of the individuals got one of the four jobs in the end. But um, for that to happen in now, I remember I was really, it really took me aback because it was the idea of, oh, actually, I have so little control sometimes over what people think of me or what people see when they see me, um, even when I don't realize it. Um, and so, so just to kind of give a more like anecdotal example of that statistic. Um, a recent study revealed that black women are five times more likely to die as a result of complications in pregnancy than white women. And one of the, a lot of the discussion that's been around this has again been about that perception of um, the black, strong black woman stereotype or just the like black women saying that when they are in hospital, they're not necessarily feeling that their concerns are being listened to in the same sort of way. Um, black people in England and Wales are 40 times more likely than white people to be stopped and searched. Um, another little anecdote one. Um, when my brother was younger, um, there was a quite horrible crime committed in our area by someone in their 30s. My brother was 17 at the time, and he got stopped three times by the police um, for the, to be asked about where he was at the time of this crime, even though he was a good foot taller than the um, assailant and um, about 15 years younger than him. But he was black, um, and yeah, three different police officers stopped him on three different occasions. Um, and yeah, again, I think for me, what I think when I think of that is that people look at my brother and they see something, they just see, they see a black man and they see all the things and the stereotypes that can come along with that. So, um, and then yes, um, there's also a clear direct association between ethnic group and the odds of receiving, receiving a custodial sentence. So black people are 53% more likely, Asian people 55% more likely, and other ethnic groups 81% more likely to be sent to prison. Um, and black men are 26 more likely than white men to be remanded in custody. So I think what the kind of point of all those statistics is basically to say that um, whilst as a general rule, no politician is going to stand up and say, I hate diversity, um, the reality is we do live in a society where the systems in the country work against those who aren't white because, um, and I'll expand a little bit on that in terms, and a lot of that is to do with what people see and that unconscious bias and the fact that when people see people who aren't white, if they are white, they will have with them the biases that come with that. So kind of to unpick that a little bit more, history kind of plays a part in that. Um, and the reality of today's society when it comes to race is that, um, and I don't know, I guess it's kind of, this is an idea you might not have thought of, is that whiteness is the default and the norm. So if you're white, you're probably never really challenged to think about race at all, just because television shows, adverts, books, everything, the idea is that the white experience is the normal experience. It's, there's an explicit expectation that everyone understands it because it's the norm. So um, it's the universal experience. Um, and so then it's easy to then say something like, oh, racism bother me or I don't see color. But when you're black or not white, obviously I'm black, but um, I think my experience would be that I am conscious of race because I'm not in the norm, but I do understand the, because I'm 
the society I grew up in, I can understand that universal, uh, the, the um, what's the word, I can assimilate into the norm. I understand the normal, like into the white culture, but the reality is my experience isn't considered to be the norm. And so if I don't assimilate, that's when I face questions, comments, strange looks, and lots of different subtle ways where I'm reminded that I don't fit. Um, one of the like a psychological term for that is called microaggressions. So that's kind of different ways that um, if you're in a society where there are, I guess micro is probably the helpful word of it, so it's small things that people do that remind you that you are the norm. Um, and if you're the norm, you might not realize it, but it's, um, it's something that does happen. I think examples could be people you don't know, never met, touching your hair, coming up to you. I had someone come up to me in a bathroom and touch their in the toilet, and I was a little bit like, get your hands off. I wouldn't, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to touch me anyway, but I was a bit like, we're in a toilet, go away. Um, <laughs> um, and they were like, oh, your hair is really great, and went to touch me, and I was just like, please wash your hands. Um, <laughs> Or um, I think um, I'm, I've been described at work as scary, and I don't think I'm a scary person. Um, I'm, I would I, I agree I'm I, I, I'm opinionated and passionate, but um, I have experienced a lot of that idea of um, I referred to before that stereotype of like an angry black woman, and I'm always conscious of that because from a very young age I was often told that I was aggressive or angry, and I have always and. I'm, and, it, and like I say, and I've been described on a number of occasions as scary, and I don't think I am. Um, but it's those, I think, little things that you are, like, kind of remind you. Um, I heard a conversation the other day at court where one of my colleagues who's black and um, isn't from England, was she didn't know what a partridge was or what it would taste like, and she was completely derided by a couple of other lawyers. And that might just be lawyers, because I was a bit like, that's a really classist thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just the way they were just like, you've never, you, you don't know what partridge is. Um, and I was just out there thinking, I don't think many people do. Um, but it was a, one of those bizarre conversations. Um, but yeah, so I think whilst your instinctive reaction might be to say, I'm not racist, I would say, stop for a minute, consider the country you live in and the fact there is a clear problem with race. And the fact that we all have unconscious bias, we all have biases, we all will make assumptions when we see people. And um, and as I'll go on to talk about a, li a little bit, I think, I think Christianity gives you the space to look at the things in your heart that aren't great and unpick them and deal with them. And Jesus gives you hope in that. And it's not, um, it's not, it's not something to beat yourself with. It's more actually, the reality is for everyone in this room who is a person of color, there is a high chance that all these things I've talked about will negatively impact an area of their life at some point because of the way people see us. And ultimately, if this is family and if this is church, this is a place where I would want to be able to bring these issues and to be supported in them rather than feel like I can't bring them up at all. And I think um, one of the things I was struck by recently was the things that I find I don't, I historically haven't necessarily always brought them up in a church context, but actually I'm God's about justice and things that are unjust. I think in all of these things, I guess, it's more about so everybody feeling like, yeah, this is where I belong and this is where I can kind of deal with these issues and raise them. So why does the country have a problem with race? Um, and I mentioned historically, and it's a, like I couldn't possibly answer this question very quickly, but I'm going to try and do it in two minutes, do a little really quick summary. So um, I would like the idea of race 
is a societal construct, it's a phrase that's often used. So it's created by society, the idea of race. And initially, one of the key things that it was created to do was to justify the treatment of black Africans in the transatlantic slave trade. So while slavery has existed throughout human society for many, many years, um, and it exists today, the transatlantic slave trade was unique in terms of its duration. It lasted for more than 400 years. The number of people affected, like 24 million people, and the fact that millions of affected people went from one area of the world to another area of the world. So if you don't, so transatlantic slave trade, I've just realized, is was the slave trade where um, Europe transported, so Europeans transported Africans from Africa, mainly West Africa, to the Caribbean and to America um, to work as slaves on, on plantations. Um, and so, but also, in doing that, it was the intellectual legitimization that was attempted on behalf of that. So in order to justify the treatment of human beings in such a barbaric way, the concept of race and whiteness was developed. And this is the idea that whiteness was superior to blackness, and therefore the whiter you were, the better you were. Um, and that idea was, and you can understand human beings don't like doing things that, like, you always want to justify the things that you do. So, um, and that idea has been developed, was developed over those 400 years um, that slave trade was in existence. And it didn't just end when the slave trade did. It impacted the way that Europe interacted with other countries that colonized um, around Africa and all um, into China, India, all of those places where Europe colonized those ideas continue to develop. And, and so it's unsurprising that hundreds of years later, it still affects our society, and by definition, us. Um, and so I would say the idea is pervasive. So it's natural that we'll be biased. That's a natural prejudice. Um, and it impacts all society, areas of society. So, but then the question could be, so what? So society has a problem with race. How does that impact me in the church? Um, and why does that mean Christianity has a problem with race? Um, and I'd say that, um, Partly, so there is that element, I'm not going to kind of go into it too much, but for some people, the fact of the impact of the slave trade and that and the idea of whiteness was also propagated by the church. And so Christianity was quite instrumental in that at the time. It then also seeped into the way colonialists and missionaries engaged with other cultures. And so Christianity's checkered path with race can often lead people to feeling like it's a white man's religion. And so I think if people are feeling excluded from Christianity, what we, I, I guess when I look at the Bible, I think that's not what Jesus says. And so it's about what we want is a place where people come in and those preconceptions can be knocked down because it's a space where people are um, seeing what Jesus says. So Jesus was clear that he came to save everybody. And the Bible says that God created all people in his image and were all representations of God. Um, and so the Bible paints a vision of community for both now and in the future that is a community of diverse people. Um, and so Acts tw um, 22, 42 to 47, it talks about all the believers being devoted to themselves, like a community of people of a kind of coming together um, to fellowship, to sharing in meals and to prayer, um, selling their property, sharing money for those in need, worshipping together. And so that's a community together. And then... and. Whereas we'll go on to see that community was a divert, had different um, ethnicities within it. And then in Revelation, um, which I think um, is a, a picture of a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white um, and praising God. And that's the picture that we are working towards and want to see. And so, um, whilst it's not surprising that 
society would the, the church would have a problem with race because we're part of our society we have the hope of those in the, the hope of what we're called to be as the church um and um what we want to do is offer hope and not despair um and i would say personally my experience is i have hope because of my faith in jesus um so yeah, so I talked a little bit before about the fact that, about unpicking what's in our heart. So the Bible talks in lots of places about the fact that we're not perfect and we all fall far below God's standards. So Jeremiah 17, 9 talks about the human heart being deceitful above of all things, desperately wicked, who really knows how bad it is. And then Romans 3 talks about the fact that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. So the Bible is really real about the fact that we are imperfect people. And so when um, we talk about the fact that there is bias in our society, that we are, we look at people, we might make assumptions about them, we might treat them um, differently, we might not include them, or all those sort of things. Um, when we look at that, whereas society can very much not want to engage with that, we can engage with it because we know what comes next. Because um, Jesus doesn't just leave it there, he promises a solution. Um, and he promises that if we put our trust in him, he changes everything. He changes our hearts, he changes us. And it takes time, and it doesn't happen overnight, but it gives us hope. And so um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 talks about the fact that if we belong to Jesus, um, we're a new person. The old life is gone, the new life has come. And Ezekiel 36, 26, where God talks about, um, when he's, um, talks about giving us a new heart, putting a new spirit in us, taking out our stony heart and giving us a tender and responsive heart. So I would say that um, in, if, if these things you've never thought about, if these things you've never like, kind of in, engaged with or kind of examined, I would say don't be fearful of examining your heart because we've got, if you know Jesus, there is always hope and there's hope for change. And it's not about um, like saying, I'm awful, I'm, so I'm just going to be sad now. But, but saying actually society is problematic. There are issues in society. There is bias. Um, that will be in me. And I want to change that. So I'm going to look for that and change it and examine it, which is, and I think one of the reasons people don't like looking at it is because they don't know how to change. Um, and if you know Jesus, you can. Um, so the other thing the Bible talks about is it practically does show how it's outworked in the church. So there's a couple of stories in the church about conflict to do with ethnicity and um, division. So one of the first stories in the Bible in the, about the early church in Acts 6 involves the Greek church members and um, they approach the apostles who are Jewish. So in the church at the time, you had two groups, you had the Jewish converts and the Greek converts and the Greek converts go to the Jewish and it's a leadership team that's all Jewish and they say to them, our widows are being mistreated and the Jewish leadership hear them, they listen to them and they select a group of leaders to address the problem and Acts 3 goes on to notice that God's message continued to spread. Um, and so the reality of that is in the Bible itself, God acknowledges the fact that as human beings, we can be quite tribalistic, we can go with what we know, but the church is, can be something different. Um, it's also, an, an, um, another place where it's looked at is um, Peter's reaction to the Gentiles. So um, in Acts 10, Peter um, has a vision where he, um, so previously the Gentiles would be People who weren't Jewish, they wouldn't eat with them, their food was considered dirty. Um, and Peter has a vision where God tells him to go and eat with the Gentiles, to not consider it dirty, which is quite a big 
cultural shift for him. But Peter has this revelation and he goes on in Acts 10 to talk about the fact that he sees very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right, which I think is a great verse. Um, and, um, and Peter goes on and he goes to Cornelius' house and Cornelius' family is saved and it's amazing. Um, and that's a huge revelation. But I, I'm really humbled by the fact that then in Galatians 2, Paul talks about the fact that when Peter, like years later, so he has this huge revelation, it hugely impacts the church. And years later, Paul has to challenge Peter again because Peter has kind of gone back from what that revelation is because the pressure of the society around him, the pressure of the fact that most of the Jews were like, the Gentiles are kind of dirty. Um, he then stops eating with the Gentiles. So he came, he started eating with them, and then he stopped um, because some friends of James came and he wouldn't eat with them anymore. And that's in Galatians 2, Paul talks about the fact that he had to say to him, um, call Peter's hypocrisy out, basically. Um, and again, that addressed the situation. And so I guess it's just that reminder that even if we have revelations, things take time to change. And even someone like Peter, a great man of God, he was passionate about Jesus, um, had failings, and God worked through them. He had grace to work through them. Um, and so, yeah, I would just conclude by saying, Jesus gives us the peace of knowing we're not perfect and that's okay, and the safety to examine our hearts. Um, and ultimately, the purpose of addressing this topic here in a church context is that we want to be a place where people can bring their problems, bring the reality of their problems, be known about them, and, and also we can all change together um, so that um, the question of does Christianity have a problem with race, may still the answer may still be yes, but the other answer could be but the church has um, offers a bit a better picture to the one society has.